on today's show. How is it that dependence is mostly between non-Westerners in Uganda who are receiving support from Westerners, right? That is dependence. And why is it called support when money is being shared from white missionary to white missionary in Uganda? Stay tuned. Hey listeners, the Radius Missiology Conference is coming up in June. They're just as serious there about missiology as we are. You'll love it. We'll be recording live there just like last year, and we want you to be a part of it. We're giving away five tickets for the live event at Christ Covenant Church in Matthews, North Carolina, as well as five live stream passes to that conference. To enter, go to missionspodcast.com slash radius22 missionspodcast.com slash radius22 and to learn more about the conference go to radiusinternational.org and let them know that we sent you so good luck in the giveaway and we'll see you soon welcome to the missions podcast the show that explores your hard questions on missions theology and practice to help goers think and thinkers go i'm alex kochman here with scott dunford pastor of redeemer church redeemer can't talk today. Redeemer Church in <laughs> Fremont, California. Let's start this show over again. Just kidding. We will keep going here. Uh, but Scott, it's good to be back in the chair with you today. And we are delighted to have another guest. Let's cut through some of the frivolities and let's introduce our guest in just a moment. But first, before we do that, the only frivolity that we'll throw out there is if this show ends up being a blessing to you, uh, we want you to let us know. And you can do that by leaving a positive rating and review that will help us in this podcast platform of choice to appear in front of more people who can be blessed by the content. We appreciate all of you who've left left reviews for us. Many of you have. But Scott, I'm really excited to sit down with the guest who's actually here in person with me in Pennsylvania here today. Scott, we wish that you were here too, but why don't you go ahead and introduce him for us anyways? Yeah. So a a few years ago, um, a missionary friend of mine, and I I think I knew who it was, but it's been enough time that has passed that I can't exactly remember, handed me a book in response to a conversation. And the conversation was about another book called uh, when helping hurts that maybe a lot of you've heard about. And he handed me this book and said, you need to read this book. It's a response in some ways, but also an alternative thinking by an African national leader uh, called when helping works. And so through the course of time, eventually we were able to connect and we're really thrilled to be able to introduce to you, uh, Michael Badriaki. I hope I'm saying your name correctly. <laughs> yeah, uh, you can correct great. us there. And he's the, uh, the founder of something called the global leadership community. You can talk about that if you'd like to. And he's currently by God's grace, the principal of Lancaster Mennonite High School, which is just a few minutes away from from our Harrisburg campus at uh, ABWE. And uh, right. so the book is When Helping Works, Alleviating Fear and Pain in Global Missions. And so mm. we're really excited to welcome you to our studio today, Michael, and we're excited to dive into this topic. Thank you very much, uh, Scott and, uh, and Alex. I, I cannot tell you how your invitation was a pure surprise by joy, I, I guess, to to go off of C.S. Lewis's uh, mm. his words there and clear demonstration of how uh, God works, you know, and, and the spirit of God works to bring us together. Yeah. And so I, I hope that uh, people can be encouraged by this already. Mm. We know, you know, Christians have been involved in in mission work and particularly we're drawn to these areas where they're developed in the developing world where there's so much need, you know, from medical development to education and all those things come alongside of the gospel proclamation and pretty much everywhere that we've served, we've seen those things happen, you know, and yet in 2009, a critique came out and it was a critique of the way that Christians have done 
mercy ministries and these support ministries by a couple of guys named Steve Corbett and Brian Fickert. And the book was When Helping Hurts. It, it, it's made a big impact. A lot of people have read it. We've read it. It challenged a lot of assumptions about the way mission agencies and nonprofits serve in the developing world and basically said, and I'm summing up at least from the best of my memory, and you've you've dived into this in a lot deeper way. You can correct even where I get that book wrong, but that much of what is done in the name of helping violates best practice methodologies and actually in some ways can perpetuate some of the colonial era problems in the developing world. And so you come out with a book that really analyzes some of that and and really challenges some of their key assumptions. And you're coming at it not from, hey, just another Westerner with an idea, but from a global leader that's reading some of those things, that book and going, hey, I don't recognize what they're talking about. So how is your book a response to that idea of when helping hurts? Thanks, Scott. Um, My response was compelled by an invitation by some friends to to read their book and to give more of a conversational response to particular problems that I remember. In this particular discussion, we were talking about how do partnerships grow? And I had, having been a practitioner in missions, church planting, and public health initiatives in Uganda, uh, and working with Western counterparts, it was clear to me that one of the main breakdowns in working together was just the challenge of building relationships. Mm. And other missiologists have written about this. But what surprised me about reading Fickett's book and Corbett was I couldn't recognize what they were saying about Uganda in particular. And it wasn't just the beginning story, even though in many cases I've given that story as the entry point into the discussion, it really is all through the book. And I thought, okay, if they're not getting to the bottom of the problem or the issue, then why this level of discussion? Now, Brian and Stephen Corbett are not the first people to raise this question. I think Brian Ma, actually, Brian at one point was at a conference in Portland, Oregon at Mission Connection, because this was where I met him. Okay. Yeah, in, even in the book I say we met. And in when he was giving his talk, he said, you know, these were footnotes from Brian Ma's mm-hmm. work, Walking with the Poor and, and other thoughts. Uh, even though Brian Ma's work is not addressing the Ugandan context. So Fickett's work is unique in this sense because it's addressing the Ugandan context. And I just, uh, I couldn't find resonance there. One thing in research, when you're doing research, you want to make sure that what you're doing is at some point going to resonate with the context. Mm-hmm. And so that was me. Then I traveled to Uganda and I was meeting with pastors and they were asking me, hey, have you read this book? Because their missionary is bringing this book to mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. to read this book. And we think that it's actually preventing them from understanding how we can actually work together mm. uh, mutually because there are thoughts in the book that they would like us to implement and they just don't apply in the context. Yeah. So actually I have not read When Helping Hurts. Okay. So I'm going to play the role though of somebody who probably a lot of our listeners, they've heard the title that maybe they've thought about it, but they probably haven't read the book in depth. Right. I think it's one of those things where as soon as you hear the title, you think, okay, you know, and you, you sort of understand what's being said, right? right? That there's bad ways of doing charitable work from time to time. Right. And we want to avoid that. 
Right. And I think there is a strong undercurrent among a lot of believers in the U.S. Mm-hmm. of, yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't do it. The way. And I do think that that can be a way to assuage guilt, but we'll get into that. I don't want to kind of spoil part of the conversation there. What I'd like to know a little bit more about is what you talked about. You said you didn't recognize the Uganda that they described in right. the book. So right. Uganda is one of the largest countries in Africa. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of English speakers and there's a lot of short term missions trips that happen between the U.S. and Uganda such to the point where if I were to say Africa to, to my church, maybe half of the people in that room, the picture that comes to mind is a picture of something like Uganda. Right. So tell us about the Uganda you do know. What, what is happening there? What's the mm-hmm. situation? What do you see? So you're right that the, the population is quite large, you know, close to 45 million people. And Uganda is actually a very exciting place to be. I mean, when Winston Churchill went to Uganda, he fell in love with the place. He called it the Pearl of Africa. Mm. So already you can see that from my vantage point and many people like me, we have allowed for the place that will not paint the place right away. Just like maybe many people might think, oh, Uganda, and because it's in Africa, they probably are thinking blood diamonds. <laughs> they probably are thinking, you know, Bruce Willis's uh, movie, you know, Tears of the Sun. Right. Or, you know, Uganda of the Lion King, yeah. you know, or, or maybe now there's Wakanda. That's a different story. <laughs> it's a different one. But it's a place where people live. It's a place where people create family. It's a place where people plant gardens. You know, even for me, when I was growing up, I had a small garden and I would plant tomatoes and uh, beans. And, Wait, you're and, saying that society happens outside the U.S.? <laughs> really? Is that? Okay, that's good. I, I think that this is, it's not bad news. And so bad news doesn't sell. Right. It's not bad news. Mm-hmm. And so um, bad news sometimes has been the reason as to why people should go and become missionaries over there. Yeah. yeah. Right? And this is part of the conversation yeah. we were having yeah. is this sort of, psych optics and that child with the flies on the face, mm-hmm. the mother uh, who is holding her baby and the baby's has sunken eyes. And while this happens in certain cases, there's boisterous life in mm-hmm. Uganda, mm-hmm. in Kenya, in Rwanda, mm-hmm. even post genocide, you know, actually the story of Rwanda yeah. now is one of a sort of a safe haven now. Mm-hmm. So I think that, what is puzzling to us is uh, sort of this uh, one-sided story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and one, the one-sided story, Chimanda Adichie has done a TED Talk on this. She's a Nigerian author. But the one-sided story is, it unfairly dominates the minds of Western brothers and sisters. Mm. And so I think even Dambisa Boyo in her book, Dead Aid, what she called the four horsemen, poverty, disease, wars, and corruption. So when you read Brian's book, the first chapter is exactly about this. He starts with this negative view. Now, obviously, maybe that's how you draw in Western readers mm-hmm. by dangling this uh, Africa of the 18th century and 19th century of uh, what uh, Joseph Conrad called the dark continent. Mm-hmm. But really, in 2009, you start your book this way because it starts with this story of a very, very bismal Uganda yeah. where, you know, he runs into a witch doctor and the smoke, he says, the smoke is filling his nose. He's so scared. He's, uh, and so that kind of a, a view for us is, it's saddening. Mm. Sure, it's sensational. 
it's sensational. Yeah. I think it's unfair to the church in the West that is trying to grow and understand that, you know, Scott, right. you, you talked about the colonial constraints. You right. know, this colonial constraint in the 18th and 19th century was one in Africa where people, are they human or maybe not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you can imagine missionaries who have done work overseas have actually helped quite a bit to say, no, these are our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. The church is united. We are one. Uh, in fact, as Jesus prayed in, in John chapter 17, I think it's verse 21, I pray that they are one just as you and I are one. So that here's the, here's the reason. So why? So that the world will know that you sent me. Mm. That as, it's as though the unity of believers across the world preaches mm. the gospel in and of itself. Yeah. So I'm curious, when did the gospel come to Uganda? You, you mentioned, you know, past experience with missionaries in Africa. I'm curious how much of that, you know, we can get into. But really getting at the deeper question, is there still a need for Western missions efforts in a place like Uganda? I think from a biblical and missiological perspective, there's always going to be a need for brothers and sisters to work together, mm. to meet together, to eat food together, to pray together, to carry the stories of our suffering together. Mm. It's a great way of answering that. It's together. It's, it's as equals. It's, it's, as really, it's really together because yeah. even mm. Paul talks about this partnership yeah. in the gospel. But why I mentioned John 17 is that that was Jesus's prayer. Did God answer it? We would say yes. Right? And he continues to answer it. So I think that need is always going to be there because the the church, the church in its local and global expression is this God, when he looks down from heaven, he looks at his big body of children all over the world. In fact, Revelations is talked about how they are around the throne. Every tribe, every tongue, every, every people from every nation but that is Revelations, Acts 2. Who's there at the birthday of the early church? People from Asia, people from Greece, people from Israel. It's this amazing yeah. unity in diversity. Yeah. Now, I don't think that f- the way Fickett writes and how he addresses the issue really helps the Western church mm. to grow towards unity, to grow past this racialized proclivities, mm. to grow past this really, I think even at, at the core of this kind of negative view towards the other, I worry is a form of political violence, mm. right? Because this negative view creates political identities. This is how the genocide happens. Mm. And scholars have written eloquently about this. There's a scholar in Uganda called Mahmoud Mamdan, and has written about how in Rwanda what caused the genocide were political identities mm-hmm. that were created by those in power to divide people. Sure. Right? Oh, yeah. But it's carrying on this previous mechanism of divide and rule. Well, can I ask a question? And I don't want to do all the talking, so Scott, you can cut in as well. But yeah. having not read the book, coming at it from an outsider, you know, I've heard this critique from other places of there's ways of doing Western missions that produce this dependency that produce, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's kind of the downsides of welfare versus, you know, helping someone to pull themselves up by their own boots, bootstraps, right? It's, right? it's giving a fish versus teaching how to fish. Right. I would assume that that's where the critique is lending. Is is that the critique? Or are you saying it's more, to you, feels like a critique of Uganda itself? Yeah. So I, I think that that's part of what I argue in the book is that Fickett and Corbett inadvertently 
do the very same thing they claim they're trying to alleviate. Interesting. Yeah. Right. When helping hurts, their attempt to help the Ugandan context actually hurt mm. the Ugandan context. Mm. Okay. Right. right? Yeah. Okay. Because. Because it's they, also critiquing Western missionaries that are doing it wrong. It's the secondary effect that you're saying it's inadvertently hurting. Even in critiquing Western missionaries in his book, in their book, they call the Western group that they're critiquing North mm-hmm. American Christians. Right. Well, when you think about that, who are they? Who are the North American Christians? What's their makeup? Right. We're a monolithic whole. We're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> because in the Western, amongst North American Christians are also Ugandan Americans. Yeah. Sure. Or maybe is he not considering them? Hmm. Because I think if well, he were- it's like saying African Christians. Right. Like, well, that's that's a broad brush. Okay. Yeah, so, it's a so, whole continent. So, so maybe to be, maybe, maybe now, this is what I'm saying, if, if we're going to look at it honestly, if he's mm-hmm. talking about white North American Christians, then that's a different subject. But again, why would he talk to them without other people's voices? Mm, interesting. Sure. Interesting. Right? So, so here then, because the dependence issue- Yeah. The question about dependence is, again, back to the colonial constraint. It goes way back there. Yeah. Dependency is created by the nanny state. Yeah. Right? This yeah. is a political theory idea. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're addressing that, you are addressing uh, nation state policies of welfare. Now, in America, if you're addressing nation state policies of welfare, and he's an economist. I would think that he'd be a little more sagacious, a little more discerning as an economist from Yale, that nation state welfare policy in America, domestic welfare policy Mm -hmm. in America, surely does not apply everywhere. Right. Right? Because in yeah, here's an example. In Uganda, we do not have a social safety net. Unemployment as a welfare provision by the government is not there. Yeah. You lose your job, yeah. you're done for it. So that even when you're trying to get out of unemployment by trying to get a job selling a little bucket of coal yeah. by the roadside, okay. you have a job, but you're still way, 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 way underemployed. Yeah, yeah. And that was the case of some of the people he actually found in Uganda, the refugees he writes about, mm. by saying that they were dirt poor, aching out a living. What what puzzles me about that is that how comes he did not see that these people were actually helping themselves? Yeah, how comes he doesn't give them a, credit? The glass is 90% empty <laughs> instead of the glass is 10% exactly. full, right? It's like, well, they could just be sitting suffering or the fact that they're actually selling coal out of a bucket, like God bless them for that. That That's, that's give an them interesting credit. perspective. Give yeah. them credit because my goodness, that kind of work, I've done it. That's a very American view. You come in with an American view of wealth. And there again, having not read the book, I mean, I'm sure there, there's two sides to both stories, but coming in with an American standard of living, you see that and you immediately think, well, that's, that's wicked and intolerable. Well, that's intolerable for you, but maybe that represents progress for them. Because they're trying. Yeah. If I were him, I would have given them credit to say, yeah, Look at these people. Yeah. They're doing an amazing job. How can we come alongside them to get them more funding yeah. through all kinds of business practices yeah, sure. to get them to grow their businesses? Yeah. To our listeners who, who are trying to follow along with this conversation, 
I can imagine there's a tension because sometimes I feel this tension and you even address the tension in your book where you talk about your friend, you know, Dave, Mm. who feels this paralysis of like, do I help or do I not help in a certain situation and realizing, Hey, in this (laughs) one situation I helped, but I think some of the healthy things that the, when helping hurts discussion bring up is like, sometimes we undermine local leaders at times. So I I can see on one side, someone saying, well, I don't want to help too much because I don't know what I'm interfering with. But on the other hand, we read your book and it can be a little bit of a paralysis. The other side of saying, well, actually I should help more, but then, you know, where do I help? And, and we could just get frozen. And you you do draw strongly from scripture throughout the book, which I really appreciate of saying Christ is calling us to, when we have a need in front of us to serve with mercy and to have compassion on people and not always be trying to think of things through this, this lens of economics and development. And I, I think one of the things that would be helpful if you unpacked along with this is you talk about this idea of the stereotype threat. And I think right. that's kind of what you're getting to in some of your comments about the way we tend to stereotype others. So right. what is this stereotype, you know, to use a kind of a technical word here, um, not just in the normal way we use it, so what is it, and, and is it only a problem in places like Uganda, and how can Christians understand this to a place of, like, not being paralyzed in one direction, or, or well, I guess paralyzing me is no direction, <laughs> paralyzed from doing anything? Yes, thanks, Scott. So back to the example of dependence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So dependency is, depending on how you're thinking about it, right? When you are... It depends. Dependence depends. De- de- yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, a comple- it's a complex theory, but it really comes out of economic theory political theory. Uh-huh. In other words, if you want to govern people, you're going to want them to depend on your system. Mm-hmm. Taxation is one, one system, right? When you're filing taxes, you have to declare what? Your, your exemption. Yeah, your your, exemption. And, yeah. and, and dependence. Yeah, dependence. Yeah, dependence. And then you get, oh, yeah. right? And then yes. you get <laughs> credit, right? And then you get credit yeah. for having dependence. Yeah. So it's built, it's baked in the cake of mm. the nation state politics. Yeah. Now, I worry about that kind of thinking mm. informing how we do missiology. Mm. Like, when has this become our sin? So, that in, we in other are, words, you're, let me see if I'm tracking with you. Yeah. You're saying what makes dependence inherently bad, basically, from a biblical standpoint. Is that sort of what you're saying? And is there a good side of dependence? Yeah, Because here's back to, mm. so I'm trying to use dependence, right? You're blowing our minds a little, Michael. I got to warn you. <laughs> <laughs> this is the good thing when brothers meet to yeah. talk. <laughs> yeah. and, iron and confessionally iron. talk and talk truthfully. Because mm. we all are dependent in some way. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. The idea of autonomy and total individualism and independence, nobody's independent of anything. And where does that come from? It it comes from a sense of political Machiavellianism. You know, we can, I am a self-made man and I have, I'm a self-made man and I've gotten there by myself. Really, Michael? Another similarity Mm. is the issue of paternalism. We've talked about it on the show that gets brandied about as this um, terrible thing that you never want to be guilty of. Well, Paul says that you have many teachers, but not many fathers, right? So there, there is a sort of godly paternalism in the sense of having a fatherly care for others, not, not in a way to put them down, but in a way of love and concern and compassion. One of the major issues in most societies, and, and let's take here in America, because I'm, I really care about this issue, is mm-hmm. the absence of parents, fathers in the African-American community. Mm-hmm. To your point, 
in the sense that that is actually a real need. Yeah. Like, forget the cliches and the stereotypical. That is an actual need. Yeah, yeah. And to say that that should not be the case is really, I've worked with students and I can see the need for that. Mm. They, have, they have great moms who are hardworking, but they could surely use the presence of a dad. And right. that need is not bad. That need is not bad. And yeah. that child is dependent on that dad. And, and that you're dad. using that to compare that to nations. Well, because from that communal, familial subsidiarity, yeah. it is part of how we exist and coexist together. Yeah. Now, the, the challenge then is to say, are we always going to be children and not mature? Mm-hmm. Mm. Sure, sure. That's a human development question. Right. We certainly have the opportunity to develop. We shouldn't always remain in Neverland like Peter Pan, you know, or Pinocchio's. But guess who helps us get there? Pastors, mm, right. aunts, teachers. That even when we're maturing, right? Yeah. Even when we're going towards independence, or you better have a community that's reinforcing the fruit of the spirit, love, patience, kindness. When we fail, a righteous man, scripture says, yeah. righteous man, I would say woman with my modern eyes now, falls six times, gets up seven times. Well, who helps us get up? Mm-hmm. It's not me. That mm. even when you can't see the people, they're there. Grandmother is there. Her influence is there. Grandfather's influence is there. It would not be true for me to say I have made myself. I wonder if in the parable of the Good Samaritan, if the uh, the priest and the Levite that walked by were patting themselves on the back for not creating any dependency with the man that was lying helpless on the side of the road, right? It, I, it sort of goes to your argument. I can imagine. I can imagine that because it's a prideful thing. To say, oh yeah. no, I, I, it's why I shame the book about you know politician who say talked of a man who, who said, you know, I built this cabin by myself and you know, yeah, yeah. But are you sure? How about the word? Right. No. Can you have a sense of humility yeah. to acknowledge yeah. God yeah. somewhere? Yeah. Amen to that. Well, you talk and, related to that. Then you you talk in chapter eight of your book about do-gooders. So what is your concern there? And the whole short-term missions enterprise. There there might be a negative underbelly of of people that do have this messianic complex. They think that they're wonderful for all the help that they're providing. Is there a concern that you have there? Or how do you view that issue? Yeah, so so continuing with that trend of thought and even Scott's question, I'll bring them together. Yeah. So when it comes to the, depend, to the dependence issue, it will also lead to the do-good as both the negative and the positive. But So I am not necessarily a believer in enabling and a sense of enablement of bad character, Hmm. right? Okay. And so I think this is why people are trying to get to the negative side of dependence. But Fickett wrote a book about dependence already from a political economic perspective. But even then, even then, whoever is criticizing the other party for dependence should always recognize dependence on Mm. their side. Mm -hmm. In other words, back to the stereotypical understanding, Scott, I've asked the question, why is it dependence? Right. Because I've had this from people who have read Fickett's work and Stephen Corbett, they have claimed that we need to not help so much over there because those people over there have a mindset of dependence. You see the the negative stereotype. Right. They have (laughs) categorized those people in an identity of they're the problem. Yeah. They have a mindset of dependence. Let's consider that that's true. And you don't. 
Right. So why is dependence over there and not over here? Let me even make it a little more particular because I've asked this question. How is it that dependence is mostly between non-Westerners in Uganda who are receiving support from Westerners, right? That is dependence. And why is it called support when money is being shared from white missionary to white missionary Mm. in Uganda? Come on now, you can't be preaching like that. You're sitting in a mission organization. <laughs> I know, just, but you, you know, the whole the whole place you're sitting is because of dependence on oh, churches. Yeah, well, you see right. what I'm saying? Yeah, is I do. Support. I do. Yeah. How is it the support is looked at differently? Yeah. When, when does it switch? Yeah. yeah. It's because of the double standard mm. that is perpetuated by this contingency called negative stereotype threat. A negative stereotype threat in psychology or social psychology is uh, is this idea that whenever any part of a human being's identity is negatively looked at or categorized, it's very likely that that person is going to experience a self-fulfilling prophecy. For example, if I walk into a room and there's senior citizens and I walk in there thinking or these people are no good because they are old. Well, number one, how self-evident is that, Michael? Are you are you just sure that there are not right. former astronauts in there? Are you sure <laughs> that there's no surgeons in there that have actually done an amazing job? Are you just are you just sure that just because they have gray hair, there's no person there that has shared the good news with so many people that have actually received Christ? Mm. And when I when I walk into the room with this kind of view, I have already dehumanized them. Mm. I'm not expecting anything good out of them. I am probably very likely going to mistreat them, Mm. even in the names of love. And guess what? Studies have been done that when people are negatively stereotyped, it actually affects those that are immensely talented. For example, there was Mm. a study done, yeah. Mm -hmm. There was a study done with uh, uh, scholars who were very good at math and those that are not so good at math. And in one group of those that were good at math, they say to them, hey, you're taking this exam and it's really hard. People like you don't usually do well. And for the group that was not that good, they said, but they could do math. They said, hey, you're going to take this exam and people like you usually do well. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They did better. The people who, they did better than these right. people who had the contingency. Yeah. yeah. And so this is what I'm trying to say, uh, even for Fickett, I'm trying to ask Fickett and Steve and Corbett, which I, at least as far as I know now, I'm, it might have changed. Corbett has never been to Uganda. Okay. That's the other thing. Fickett was only there for six months. When I was studying uh, my master's in intercultural studies, which is missiology, yeah. it, it, it's a track in missiology, we were told that when you get into a culture, before you speak, before you critique the culture, have at least three years underneath your belt. <laughs> Which is completely reasonable. And others would say more because right. I've talked to missionaries who say, I thought I knew yeah. after 10 years. Yeah. But um, So for me, even for me coming to the United States, I couldn't go back to Uganda and tell people, hey, look, America's like this. After I needed to study American Civ. I needed to study uh, American politics. I Unfortunately, to you probably know more about American civics than most Americans do, too. You could. 
<laughs> so, so then I tell you what, negative stereotype threat then comes from what do people know and what people, what have people believed and what do people know about the other people, where they live, and how can that be addressed truthfully through scripture? Mm. So that by the time people get there, they're at least aware of the things they need to unlearn, relearn in that cycle of mm. learning. So I'm going to kind of share some of my own thoughts as you're talking. I, I do appreciate that you do kind of give a positive roadmap forward. And I want to set you up to do that. But I want to at least kind of share where, where I'm resonating a little bit with, with the other book and wanting your help for me going forward even. We do understand that there was negative side effects of colonialism, right? We've, we see that in, in history. There was, there was a stereotyping of people as unintelligent and even less than human sometimes. And we do see that we even have a human tendency within ourselves to say, hey, I want to look good. You know, I mean, if I can help you guys, but also in the process, make myself feel better about it. That's great. I recognize that tendency in me. And I also recognize yeah. a tendency in myself you know, to very quickly see people with different culture or different background or even different language than me as somehow maybe less intelligent than me. This was a struggle when I was learning Chinese because I felt like I was talking like a toddler all the time and I was constantly being evaluated as kind of a, a simple person. And I'm like, no, I, I have thoughts. I just can't say them in your language, you know, yet. But recognizing, okay, we have some of these tendencies within us as humans and as fallen humans. And now I'm bringing that into the mission world and I'm worried, am I going to just do the same thing that I've, I don't want to sin in this way. I don't want to dishonor my brother. I want to find ways to partner. And then you read a book like When Helping Hurts that says, hey, you're, you're actually doing damage. You're, there's, there's things you're trampling on. I can see why there would want to be a check. I can see a good intention of a book like that to say, check yourself. You know, check your background, check your your own in, inherent ways of viewing things that are really focused on your own cultural perspective, not someone else's perspective. So mm -hmm. as a leader, as a uh, academic and someone who's put a lot of thought into this, how do you help a missionary like myself who is wanting to be more effective in partnership, who's wanting to build good cultural relationships, who wants to work with, uh, with the national partners in the countries where, where our ministries are, are working. How do I do that in a way that's healthy, that doesn't help in a way that hurts, but actually helps in a way that works? Uh, that should be the title of a book. I'm, that's a bad joke. Yeah. But, <laughs> <laughs> what, what's the roadmap forward, Michael? You, you do talk about this in, you know, in, in your mm. book of suggestions for cross-cultural workers. So help our listeners and help me as we navigate this. Right. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate the honesty there because I think that that is the posture. Mm. Just even having that awareness that you have shared is the posture. And one of the things that I try to spell out in the book there in many ways is this idea of faithful friendship and interdependent partnerships. So faithful friendship is really, I think, is what Jesus is extending us. Mm. And he extends us this you know, greater love is none other than one laying down his life for another. Wow. Right. That's revolutionary. Is that guiding missions, mm. both long term and short term? Mm. Right. I think the service ends there. Mm. The church service ends right there. Yeah. And this is what we know what love is. Mm. It's called us to lay down our lives for one another. 
something that's amazing. I was just speaking to a group of students. and This was a school assembly K through 12. Yeah. So you're a high school principal. So talking to K through 12 all at once, it's like, all right, let me maybe just shoot the middle and, and talk to the fifth graders and hope that there's something for everybody there. Right? Yes. Yes. And the verse that they had given me was in that same text in John 15, where Jesus says that you are my friends if you do what, what I command if you follow my commands now. Right. And so I, I thought, well, this will tee it up well, right? You know, what does it mean to have a friend? You know, the idea that Christ invites us to be friends through obeying him. Um, and it's the same thing. You started our conversation here with John 17, that there's a there's a kinship, there's a friendship that needs to exist between the missionary, between the field that they're serving on, between national partners, between all of the believers in the body of Christ, because we've been invented, invited rather into the friendship of the Godhead of our triune God. There's one God. He's a, he's a simple God. He's not divided into parts, but there is genuine community among the persons in God. Um, and we're invited into that and it's mind blowing and we'll spend eternity wrapping our minds around that. Absolutely. And God is so generous. He's given us a lifetime to try it out. (laughs) You see. And so (laughs) he's given us the sandbox to try this out. So you're absolutely right. I pulled out First John 3. Read that for us. Yeah. And, and then we'll, we'll close with that because okay. that's good. That's a First good point. John 3, 16 through 20. And this is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. Mm. Amen. Now, and he goes on to say, and if, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, and has no pity on them. We, when you see now in our modern eyes, in our modern epistemology, we are now even afraid of the word pity. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> because we're looking at the secular side of it, the shame that comes with pitying the other person. Mm. Because we would like to look good. Like Scott says, we like to look good. Mm. So I wonder sometimes, this idea that even when helping hurts, look at the logic of it. Just mm. from the, just, is it helping that's the problem? Mm. <laughs> So I think the title of the book in and of itself, so that's why I'm, I'm still puzzled as to what in this book gets the Western psyche mm-hmm. going. Yeah, yeah. And helping is not the culprit. Helping is not the problem. It really never, even just from a log, logician standpoint. Well, I know we're trying to wind down here too, but I think, I think we're getting at it. Yeah. I was just at a lunch before we came here and sat down to record mm. and what happens every time Americans are together over lunch? We're always squabbling over who takes the check, right? And that <laughs> happened at this meal. <laughs> and Bill Roweeder, if you're listening or if you know Bill and you're, you're at ABWE and know Bill, our IT guy, there you go. I imagine me and him sitting squabbling over who's going to take the check for the, the sushi bill. But the, the point of that is, though, I, I remember I was talking to a friend years ago mm. who challenged me on that and mm. said, a deep believer, very godly man, mm. said, don't rob the other person of the privilege of being a blessing to other people. And there's something in our psyche where we think it, it's a false humility of, no, I'm not going to let you bless me. And there's true biblical humility is willing not only to be a blessing to others, but to receive to blessing receive. from others. And I think we're afraid to receive. So he, right. so, so here's the thing. Exactly. So, I'm, and I'll wrap it up here yeah. because when you're faithful friends, you have the opportunity to be friends like David and Jonathan. I mean, the biblical sense of it. You have the opportunity to express the friendship in the Trinity, mm. this import of faithful community. You know, the Trinity at one point never says, hey, God the Father doesn't say, hey, Jesus, uh, <laughs> you've gotten too much of my love, right? So you're now on your own. 
go and build your own stuff. <laughs> you know, you need to mature, you right. know. And then Jesus never tells the, uh, God, the Holy Spirit, hey, you're depending on me too much for your power, right? <laughs> this is parakaresis, the Greeks yeah. put it together, this dance. Yeah. Now, if we're to emulate that, you know, sometimes you help and you don't even know where that money is going to go. Mm-hmm. You talk to parents mm-hmm. who are working with their kids who are recovering from any kind of substance abuse. Mm-hmm. They don't know when that journey is going to end, yeah. but they're walking with them, even at a point of dependence. Mm. They're walking with them, hoping someday against hope that mm. change is going to come. But that is God's work. Mm-hmm. So I'm not encouraging a careless way of generosity. Right. What I'm saying is that can Christians go back to this idea? It's more blessed to give. Mm. more blessed to give yeah mm. let god worry about who receives what mm. but it's more blessed to give and when we give can we give our finest and when we give can we give as god deserves mm. the question then is if you're a faithful friend you're interdependent you're not necessarily dependent because you can, where there's dependency because it will come it will a time will come where you're going to need somebody to take care of you yeah. either because of illness or but for the most part can we work towards sharing can we work towards partnership that doesn't reflect always the, you know people own houses <laughs> they love their houses <laughs> yeah but one is a horse and one is the owner mm-hmm. the christian approach to partnership should not be like that mm. it should reflect a love of god that has no strings attached mm. it's beautiful we need to have you back we need to have you speak to others at abwe as well and i'm imagining people are thinking okay how can we get a hold of when helping works and how can we hear more from you michael so how can people get in touch with you the book is on amazon and i really would appreciate the support there because when i wrote the book i didn't market it you know books sell because people market them i didn't write right to get into the business of it yeah. but i wrote in, to get into the conversational aspect of it the discipleship aspect of it i say i wanted to bring a little bit of complexion to the conversation <laughs> because the other thing is people who write are not from where i come from mm-hmm. it takes a lot of resources it takes a lot of sacrifice and and it's painstaking and i'm not the best at it either mm. i'm still learning you see that's why i'm still in school so i hope that uh, i they, they can find it on amazon and i hope i can be invited to have this conversations at different forums like you're saying mm. because i think we need to meet again we need to get to know each other again all for the sake of a healthy body of of christ ephesians 2 mm. because the walls of hostility are there it's why i'm not afraid of having the discussion about anything that is caught pulling us apart including racism i think the church should not shy away from that mm-hmm. i i don't believe in an approach that makes white people feel bad i don't i don't believe in that approach because the gospel approach is one of bringing us towards unity with diversity but we need to have that conversation yeah. otherwise we're going to be left to the whims of political interest yeah and men they're looking for votes yeah Yeah. They're not yeah. looking for discipleship. I don't know. Everything's going fine here politically okay. right now. So. Okay. <laughs> well, so I'm just saying, uh, the book is on Amazon. They can find it there. But I, I really hope to be a part of discussions that are helping us yeah. as believers to live according to the fruit of the yeah. Holy Spirit. I, like anybody else, don't want to make mistakes when I should be doing good. Mm. Yeah. But you know, 
I don't even believe in the whole idea of, you know, teach a man how to fish. Well, the problem in many countries like Uganda, what if everybody's fishing and there's no fish in the lake? Mm. You know, can we think a little more about this? I think when we talk, when we meet, we get to understand, oh, we are actually all looking for the same thing. We want to know God better. We want to know God's word better. And we want to Mm. learn how to love each other better and work through the hard things. Mm. Where we've said things out of free speech and it has hurt somebody, let's work through that through scripture. I think that's what we have. And I think the world sees that and says, there's God here. Mm. There's Jesus here. There's the Logos here. There's a community here, what Andrew Walter, another missiologist has called the Ephesians community. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, may that be said of this space here on the Missions Podcast where we are having conversations like this. Um, This conversation was a blessing to Scott and I, and we pray a blessing to you as well. And so if that was the case, go ahead and let us know. You can email alex at missionspodcast.com or scott at missionspodcast.com or both if you're feeling generous. And of course, remember, every time you share the show and every time you leave a positive rating and a five-star review, that gets this content in front of others who can also be blessed by it. Well, the Missions Podcast, as always, is a ministry of ABWE. To get more content, go to missionspodcast.com. You can also support us at missionspodcast.com slash support. And to learn more about ABWE, go to abwe.org. So until next time, thank you for listening.